Well, today we are in part two of a series in Titus. We began it last week. And in the introduction to Titus, we talked about how Titus was a pastor. Uh, the Apostle Paul had spent quite a bit of time with him, so he had mentored him. In fact, he calls Titus my true son in the faith. So most likely, uh, Titus was led to the Lord by Paul. Now, Titus was a Gentile, but he was going to, uh, to preach to uh, Gentiles, so, so that was good. Um, uh, not like Timothy. Timothy was going to preach, uh, or he was going to be around the Jews a lot, so Paul had him circumcised, so that wouldn't be a stumbling block for the Jews. But Titus, Paul sent to Crete. And if you remember, last week we talked about that, that he was sent there for a specific reason. He was sent there to set everything in order, or set in order what remained, is the way Paul said it, and to appoint elders in every place. So today, uh, we're going to get to the place where we talk about elders. Now, I know that sounds like a weird word in Baptist circles, doesn't it? How many of you have been a part of a Baptist church that had elders? Anybody? How many of you have been a part of a Baptist church? You're going to find out that you've been a part of a Baptist church with elders because elder is a pastor and an overseer. The elder, pastor, overseer in Scripture, whenever it talks about any of those guys, is always talking about the same guy. That's one person in Scripture. Did you guys know that? You do now. So if you've been a part of a Baptist church where there was a pastor, that pastor was an elder. He was also a pastor, which simply, we just kind of bring that over. Shepherd is really uh, the, the word, and, and he's not really called a shepherd. When you look in Scripture, he's, he's, he's called to shepherd the people. We'll hit some of those verses here in just a moment. But the Apostle Paul uh, was writing to Titus, and he told Titus to set up, uh, in order, put, in, put in order everything that remained, and set up elders in every church. Now, there's, there's some discussion on whether there were multiple elders in churches or whether he meant an elder in each church in the city. I personally believe that there were more than one elder, that there were elders in each church. That was the way that they had uh, conducted uh, life in the synagogue, and so it would carry over. And actually, as a solo pastor guy, the idea of other pastor guys really is comforting to me. But I just believe that that's the way that, that, it, that it came about. Now, in verse 5 is where we pick up. Let me read that to you. The Apostle Paul is, is really kind of helping Titus set this up. By the way, I probably am going to say Timothy at some point. I think I did last week confuse you. Just like when I was preaching out of Peter and I kept saying Paul, I'm probably going to do the thing, same thing with Timothy and Titus. But he's writing to Titus. And, and as he's setting it up, the Apostle Paul is, is really laying out some stuff for Titus so that Titus can understand what it is he's supposed to do. So he begins, really, with some qualifications for the elders. He says this, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and children are believers not open to the charge of debauchery. You've got to love some of the words in Scripture. Debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, that is, practicer of hospitality, 
a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And then Paul goes on. We'll pick up with the, the rest of that next week. So elder, pastor, overseer. Always the same guy in Scripture. In fact, usually elder is the title. Pastor and overseer really have more to do with what he's supposed to be up to. But let's go where Paul goes first. Paul talks about who he, who he is. So, so think about this as we read through this list of qualifications. He says, is, if anyone is above reproach. Now that's, that's hard enough in this day and age, isn't it? If he's above reproach. So in order to be a pastor, you have to be perfect, right? Yeah, only Jesus is qualified. Um, above reproach really has with it the, the idea that there aren't these accusations that are out there kind of lingering. Now, it doesn't say that a pastor's never been accused, but that, that there's no, no idea behind that. So he's above, he's above reproach if ever... It says, actually, uh, Paul writes, Timothy, uh, don't entertain an accusation against a pastor unless it's been substantiated by two or three. But above reproach means that there's not a doubt about him. The second one is husband of one wife. Now, we, we go bonkers with this one, I think, um, especially in Southern Baptist life. So, so let, me, let me read this to you, and then I'll give you my personal feeling uh, on, on how we should do this. Husband of one wife really... Really, in the Greek, the language of the New Testament, says basically he's a one-woman man. Does that make sense to you? It, it doesn't actually use the word husband, that's implied. He's a man of one woman, is the way that it reads literally. So the idea behind it is he's a one-woman kind of man. And, and you've all seen guys that have only ever been married to one person, and yet he's a little, he's a philanderer, you know? This is that there is no doubt this guy that you're calling to be an elder, that this guy is a one-woman kind of man. That his wife is his wife, and that's the woman in his life. Y'all can write that down. I didn't mean for that to rhyme. Yes. So he's a one-woman kind of man. Now, I know we kind of go bonkers with this. Oh, he's been divorced. He can't be a pastor. Now, I told you I'll, I'll give you my personal opinion uh, about this in just a moment, but but. Let's let Scripture say what Scripture says. Scripture doesn't say not divorced. There's a way to say that in the Greek. It doesn't say that. Uh, it, it doesn't say that he has to be married. Right? Are, are y'all tracking with me? Um, it just means that his, the way he treats his wife, particularly in this case, it's assuming that he has one, is that he's a one-woman kind of man. And that's the kind of guy you want for a pastor, right? He's a one-woman kind of man. Now, now let's go to this. Is, uh, we just did this in, in Sunday school, so this is not Scripture. This is Larry. This is my personal um, preference, my personal opinion on how we should do this. Because it says that he's above reproach, I think it's better if the pastor hasn't been divorced. Does that make sense to you? I can't imagine what it would be like to be a pastor because I haven't really seen a divorce that was all nicey-nicey. It might have started out that way. Well, it didn't start. It might have 
at the divorce that way and then it turns ugly. But I can't imagine what it would be like for a pastor to be up here preaching on fidelity in a marriage and, you know, uh, till death do us part and his ex-wife comes in and sits down. That'd be uncomfortable, wouldn't it? So for me personally, now let scripture say what scripture says. It doesn't say you can't be divorced. It doesn't say he has to be married even. But I think it would, it's better if a pastor is not divorced. I just think that that takes a whole lot of stuff out of the way that's not going to be a problem. And that helps him to stay in that above reproach area. I don't think he has to be married. Scripture doesn't say that he has to be married. I, I, let, me, let me go back up. Scripture doesn't say that he has to be married, but I think it's a good idea if he is. And, and especially as we hit some of the other things. First of all, boy, a single pastor, you know, he... he I don't know how that would work even. Um, it, it's a partnership in ministry with Cynthia and me. And, and I just think it's better. That, that uh, along with the above reproach, that takes out a whole bunch of things that might be a problem if you have a single pastor. I met single pastors that were great. Um, and then they got married. No, I'm kidding. Um, but but they, they probably got married because they realized, I mean, you know, God said it in the Garden of Eden. It's not good for man to be alone. The implication is no telling what he's going to end up doing. No. I think it's better if your pastor is married to one wife. The same wife. Then he says that children are believers not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. That, boy, this is hard, hard, hard. We, we live in America, the land of choices and votes, don't we? And, and we think, I, I deal with this a lot with parents, you know, when we're talking about the faith of our children, they say, oh, you know, they have to decide for themselves. At some level, that's true. And yet our mandate as, as parents in Scripture is to raise up our children in the discipline and the training of the Lord. That we are to teach our children to follow the Lord, to follow God. That we are to teach our children to come to the place where they come to faith in Christ. And I know in our world of choices and our world of votes, that just doesn't sound very American-y, doesn't it? I, that didn't say any of that, right? Doesn't sound very American, does it? And yet in Scripture, we are taught to teach our children to do it. It's not a choice. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where it says, parents, you let your kids choose whether they want to follow God or not. I just don't see it. And so... The, the thing here is that the children are believers. Can you make a child come to faith in Christ? Boy, I wish. There's some adults I wish that would work with. You can't, but as, as parents, we can teach them to. We can bring them up that way. For a pastor, and this is hard, for a pastor, what it's saying, it's not saying he has to have kids, but if he does have kids, that his kids need to be God followers. His kids need to be followers of Christ. That, that they can't be the, the word debauchery. I love this. In a little bit, we're going to get the filthy lucre. That's the, uh, the King James Version. I just, I like that. You can't translate that any better. Filthy lucre. Um, the, the debauchery, that, that, they're, that they're not wild and crazy. And listen, ha, how many of you ha, have known personally, or at least you know the stories of those pastor's kids? Well, there's the pastor's kid. I tell you, the reason for that usually is they spend a lot of time with the deacon's kids. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. This actually, 
this actually, uh, a lot of these, uh, if we were to put the qualifications for a pastor alongside the deacon, they parallel in a lot of ways. This is one where they, where they don't parallel. It's not called for a deacon to have pastor's kids who are believers and who are not uh, accused of debauchery or insubordination. That's a rebellion. And a little bit later, we'll talk about when we talk about what a, what a pastor does or what an elder does, we'll, I'll explain that, why that is, I believe. But his kids have to be followers of Christ. They, they have to be ones that people look up to. And is that hard on a pastor's kid? Yeah. Listen, these qualifications are hard on a pastor. But he says, if he can't manage his own household, how is he expected to manage the household of God? And that's hard. Don't you wish you could make people believe something? Don't you wish you could make people? I, I wish. So that, that's, a, that's a tough qualification. The other one is not arrogant. That one shouldn't be tough. If you're walking in the Spirit, you should exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, the, the result of the Holy Spirit living in you. He's not arrogant. He's not prideful. He's not conceited. It says that he's not quick-tempered. The, the word here really means soon angry, that, that he has a long fuse. And he does have a fuse. Uh, it doesn't say that he never gets angry. It just says that that's not like the quick thing. And, and these are tough things. That he's not a drunkard, you'd hope. I mean. You know, that's why we serve grape juice on communion Sunday. Somebody's got to drink this stuff afterwards now. It's grape juice. It's grape juice. We do that here. What this really means, it's a funny way to phrase it, and so it makes me think it's a euphemism uh, in the Greek, that 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 he's not known for being near the wine. He's not a lover of wine. Um, I, I love, I think the King James may translate it, he's not addicted to much wine. He can be addicted to a little, <laughs> but not addicted to much um, is, the way, is the way that that reads. But, but you get the idea that he's not known for drunkenness. He's not known for drinking. You, you don't want a pastor who's known for drinking unless it's coffee and then that's okay. Yeah. That he's not violent? Goodness, I hope not. Really, the idea behind this is that he's quarrelsome. You don't want a pastor who's quarrelsome, he's argumentative, he's always stirring stuff up. I mean, the pastor is the one who's supposed to, to, to help keep it together, not stirring it up. That he's not greedy for gain, and the King James here says uh, uh, something about filthy lucre, that you just can't get any better wording than that. He's not greedy for gain, that he's not in it for, for himself. And, and this can deal with power, this can deal with stuff, it can deal with money, but he's not in it for himself. Isn't that, isn't that 100% the opposite direction of the heart of a shepherd? The heart of a shepherd is in it for his flock, right? That he's not in it for himself. That he's hospitable. That is, that he's fond of guests. It helps if you like people, if you're going to be a pastor. Actually, it's, it's required. That, that he actually likes people. He, he, have, you, have you ever been around someone that you can tell they really don't like being around people? Some of you are like, that might be me sometimes. Uh, even, even a pastor who's outgoing needs time alone. You, you know that, right? But, that, but that, that the ones who actually love people, you can tell when you're around them. But the, the ones who actually like being around people, you can tell when you're around them. That's what it's talking about here. 
that he's a lover of good, you would hope so, but that he's always drawn to, to the good things. And, you know, Scripture talks about whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is just set your mind on these things, that, that he practices that. That he's self-controlled. I want someone who's out of control. But he's self-controlled. He's able to control himself. I, I love this with kids, and we say this a whole lot all the time. You worry about you. I'll worry about him. It's usually him. Sometimes it's a her. But you worry about you. I'll worry about the other person. That, that he can do that. that. That he's self-controlled. He's not out of control. That he's upright. Really, the idea behind this is more of being just. Um, fair and just are different things. I just want to say that for the kids here real fast. It's, that's not fair. No, but it's just. You know? That he's holy. Now that right there sounds unattainable for all of us, doesn't it? Holy in this sense does not mean without sin. Holy means that he lives a life of purity. That, that his, his life, uh, for those of you who went on the men's retreat, he doesn't live in the third circle. He doesn't live in the flesh. He may end up there occasionally, but he lives in the spirit. And then finally, that he's disciplined. I admire guys who can do eight things at once. And I'm not saying that that's undisciplined. Um, I'm not that guy. Um, I can barely talk to you while I'm texting somebody on my phone or while I'm typing on the computer. But the idea of disciplined here is that, that he is able to discipline himself. That, that, that he's not here and there and wandering just over here. Oh, you know, squirrel, you know. And, and then he goes over here and, and, and that he's all over the place. And if you think back to what a, what a pastor does, what an elder does, and we'll get to that in a moment, that's really necessary to lead the flock, isn't it? That's your discipline. I, I would add to that just for me, focused. Um, man, I don't want somebody who's all over the place to, to be leading a church. <laughs> You know, I want, I want someone that occasionally gets distracted, but I want, I want somebody that is disciplined, that, that he can stay the course. That's who he is, what he does. And, and, and we're just going to stick with, there, there's a lot more in Timothy, actually all through Scripture. I'll read a few at the end that will kind of give you an idea. That one, Titus. He does say more in Timothy, though, um, I'm just trying to dig, dig my way out of the hole here. So what, what he does, well, in verse 7, it says, for an overseer. So, so first, what he does is he oversees. The idea is that, that he is, some of these are going to sound harsh, and I think Scripture did it, not harsh, but really firm. I think Scripture did it this way to kind of get our attention. But he is the one who who runs the church, if you want to put it in that sense, who oversees the church. And I'll tell you, we, uh, we'll hit this in Timothy, and I meant to say Timothy this time. Uh, we'll hit this in Timothy when we get, uh, get there uh, in a few weeks, maybe. But I, I've seen that get messed up, particularly in Baptist churches, mainly because that's just the only, the only uh, experience that I've had uh, as a believer with churches. But the, the pastor, the elder, is the one who oversees. That means he leads, he guides, he gives direction. 
I always get scared from my, my brothers in, in other churches when they say, I had, to, I had to get the approval of the deacons for that. And our deacons are here, so. I had to get the approval for the deacons for that. And I say, brother, can you show me in Scripture where the deacons approve something? Now, now there, are, there is time, particularly like the council in Jerusalem, where they called these spiritual men together, and the deacons are included in there with the pastors. But the deacon's job, we'll get it in Timothy, is to deke. That's what they do. I'll translate those into English. Deacon is actually a transliteration of a Greek word that means servant. The servant's job is to serve. The elders are called to oversee, to manage. That's why uh, I, I said we'd get that. Yeah, we, I said I'd do it today. That that's why that qualification is there for the elders, but not for the deacons, that, that the elders be able to manage their household well. Now, I would say that's like just a godly guy thing, but it's a requirement for a pastor that he's able to manage his house well. And, and I, I've just seen, you know, there's so many deacon pastor jokes. Um, I, I've just seen where, where, the, where the deacons and pastor get at odds with one another. It's usually over control or power of something. And, and that not, ought not be. And if we understood really the roles of deacons and the roles of elders or pastors, it wouldn't be an issue. So he oversees. He's the one that manages, if you want to. I don't like the word managing that much. Um, I like the word leader better. But he's the one who manages. He's the one that oversees. He's the one that gives oversight for the church. And, and that includes making decisions. Now, I know some of you are going, yeah, but. I don't know if I want to entrust all that to one guy. That's one of the reasons that I think in the early church there was more than one. I think that that's the healthiest. But look at the qualifications for this guy. I think that's why the qualifications are so high is because of what he's called to do. Not only that, but he teaches. He says, he must, verse 9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. So he teaches, he gives instruction. That's the job of the elder, the pastor, the overseer. Again, that's one of the other places when you line up the qualifications with a deacon and an elder, that's where, where it's different for the elder than it is for the deacon. The deacon's not called to teach. He gives instruction. That The idea behind this word teaches here or give instruction is to exhort. I like that. Because what you're doing is you're, you're giving information for transformation. And so when, when a pastor's teaching, he's not teaching just so that you can have a bunch of knowledge. He's teaching the Word of God, relying on the Spirit of God, so that there can be the transformation in the heart that only happens through Christ. And so teaching here is, is exhorting, indicates that, that it's teaching for change. I just said that. I'm not talking about what he makes. He doesn't teach for change like just, just that sounded bad when I said it. I want to clarify. Don't throw me a couple of quarters. That's in Timothy 2. A workman's worthy of his hire. Don't muzzle the ox while he's threshing. I don't want to. Never mind. It goes bad from there. He oversees. He teaches. And finally, he rebukes. Now, I've learned my lesson the hard way. More than once. 
this one has to be handled really carefully. Um, in, in fact, I think Paul's telling Timothy, don't rebuke an older man, but appeal to him as a father. I've forgotten that a couple times, and, and it's hurt. It's hurt me, it's hurt them, and it's hurt our relationship. But here, rebuking is really, in this context, is what he's talking about is correcting false teaching. That, that's why uh, he has to be sound uh, in doctrine. He's able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and it says, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. I don't pretend like I know everything. Because I know that I don't know everything. And I used to say this a lot of time, and somebody would get on to me. I never understood why he got on to me, but he did. So I, I try to pay attention to that. I don't even know the things that I don't know. He goes, oh, you're in trouble. So if I knew what I didn't know, then I would know it, and it wouldn't be something I didn't know. I said I'll have to say this. I know that I don't know everything. But I know what I know. And, and sometimes it's the job of the pastor. It's the responsibility of the pastor. Not sometimes. It's always a responsibility. But sometimes he has to correct teaching that's in error. We won't get into that a whole lot this time because that's what the next message is about. But, but listen, let me just give you a, a little word of caution. You can hear anything these days. You can, you can podcast anybody. You can Google. Good grief. You're, you know, the research papers uh, nowadays, Google is what they go for. Um, unfortunately, they still have online libraries. That's a better source. But, but you can find any teaching out there. There, there is a group of people, and, and I think they're serious in this, who, who have, it's this movement to help people understand that the world is really flat. And the funny thing is they have members around the globe. And they say that. I didn't have to make that up. So more and more and more, I'll, I'll tell you, there, there are occasions where we might, we might do a study about a particular group because that's a teaching that's becoming really prevalent. But I would a whole lot rather just stick with the truth because when you get God's word in your heart, you're pretty quick to realize when something is an error. But sometimes, sometimes there's... There's a call to confront the, the teaching, whether it's teaching that's in our world or teaching that's happening here. And that's the job of, I wouldn't say job, it's the responsibility of the elder, the pastor. Let me read to you a couple of things, just a few uh, verses, and then, then we'll uh, enter a time together as a family in communion. Acts chapter 20, this is the Apostle Paul, and, and he's writing, he'd called the elders together. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves. Pastor can't forget that he's also a follower of Christ. Pay careful attention to yourselves. But he also says, and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care, that word really is to shepherd the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. 
1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. That's a word that we don't like, rule. Let the elders who rule well. Anybody in here looking for somebody to rule over you? Did you wake up this morning and say, I'm looking for somebody? Well, you have lots of people. <laughs> Jesus, yeah, we always want, he's the first one. But let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in, uh, my translation says preaching and teaching. It's actually labor in the word. I like that. We, 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 we strive, we sometimes anguish over, God, how in the world? How in the world can I, can I get this across? And then the, the words of my first pastor I served under, Joel Robertson, come to me and he said, Larry, the same Holy Spirit who was working in you while you were preparing that message is the same Holy Spirit that's going to take it to the hearts of the people who are here. 1 Peter 5, 1-3, Peter, who was an elder, I don't know if you realize that all the apostles were also elders, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. And here's what he, here's what he exhorts them to do. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, filthy lucre. I just love that. But eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And then finally, Hebrews 13, 17. This is to the people. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So why, why, do, why would a pastor preach a message about pastors? I'll give you two really good reasons. One, it's in the Bible. We need to preach the word, all of it, the whole counsel of God. The other is, I think the more we can understand what a pastor is and what a pastor does, I think the better off I am if you understand that, and I think the better off you are if you understand that. And to let you know that I take very seriously the call that God has given to me to be a pastor. Called me in 1984. I was three years old. I'm kidding. I was older than that. Falls Creek. Somebody, I, I get this a lot. Larry, how do you how did you know God was calling you to be a pastor? I said, Well, I couldn't do anything else. No. best way that I can describe it to them is it was so similar to my call to salvation. I don't know how your call to salvation was, but for me, Sunday night, we, we had a guest pastor, it might have been an evangelist that was preaching, and boy, every word just drove home in my heart. And I knew he was talking right to me. I, I actually, you might have heard the story before, thought my aunt had gotten to him and told him what a dirty, rotten scoundrel I was and how I needed Jesus. And it was just so clear. I thought he was going to call my name at some point. So it was the longest invitation in the history of church. Not, not really, but it probably was close. When you run out of hymns in the Baptist hymnal, invitation hymns, and you just have to play music, you know you've been, that's a long invitation. Well, my, my call to the ministry was pretty much the same. 
It was Falls Creek, 1984. And, and the pastor was preaching, and I don't remember either of those messages, what they were about. I just know God was talking to me, and God was saying, Larry, I'm calling you to be a pastor. And I was getting ready to go down because I had already begun to learn that it's better to obey now than have him make you obey later. And I was getting ready to go down, and two of my buddies, there were four of us in that 10th grade Sunday school class that were the core. Uh, and, and they went down, and I thought, well, I can't go down now. Because they grew up in Christian homes, and, and everybody's going to think I'm doing it just because they're doing it. So I didn't. But I knew, I knew. I said, okay, God, I'll, I'll do what you asked me to do. And I didn't go down, and, and the, the conviction, you know, where you think your heart's going to pop, um, just the pounding in your chest, the heaviness. And I knew, I knew that's what he wanted me to do. And I said, well, God, I, I'll do it, but I'm not going to go down because I don't want people to think I went down because they did. Well, that Sunday night we were sharing, back when we had Sunday night services after discipleship training and children's choir, <laughs> youth choir, and, and we were sharing, we're up in the choir loft in that big church in North Risen Hills, and, and we were sharing, and conviction all over again. <sighs> like God said, Larry, you need to tell them what I told you. So I did. And the best way I can describe that call is, how do I know God's called me to be a pastor? Same way I knew he's calling me to faith. I just did. And the pastor there did something I thought was crazy. Sorry, this little personal testimony. He had the three of us who surrendered to the ministry that night. We were going to preach, and he set a date. And we're all preaching the same night. And I thought, man, it's going to be a long service. That pastor was so wise. We all three got up there and preached our hearts out. and We still got out 30 minutes early. <laughs> I want you to know that I take this really seriously. And I know that, that it's different for a pastor's family. They know. Cynthia, when, when, when she and I first met, it wasn't very long. She knew that God called me to be a pastor. It wasn't a surprise for her later. It's different. And that's okay. And I can't imagine doing anything else. Not because I don't know how to. I've worked in graphics for a little while. I was in construction for a little while. I've, I've done some other things. Because this is what God has called me to do. Wow, I think this was a message for me, not for you guys. So here's, let, let me just challenge you as we, as we close this portion and, and prepare our hearts to take communion. By the way, the way we do communion here is if you have made a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you uh, to join together with us as the family of God. Let me encourage you with this. Would you pray for me every day? That I don't get screwy, <laughs> like some of this he talks about in there. That, that I increase in wisdom. I got the hair for it, I just need the rest of it. That the Lord leads me to lead you guys the direction he'd have go. But would you also pray for my family? It's different being a pastor's family. Um, it's different being a pastor's wife, isn't it? <laughs> she doesn't know. That's all she's known. Um, um, would you pray that God would protect them? Because oftentimes he will attack my family just to get to me. Not God, but Satan. 
God would protect them from, from the enemy. Um, would you pray for our church? I honestly believe that God has some big things in store for us this year. We just need to be obedient in the direction that he leads. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that for some reason that you know, that you've called me, Lord, to serve you as a pastor, as an under-shepherd, Jesus Christ. And I thank you that the reason you called me, I know, wasn't because of any qualifications that I had or anything that's in me. As near as I can tell, Lord, you just did it because you chose to. Thank you, Lord, that you equip those that you call. And I pray, God, that you would direct my every step, keep me close to you, Lord, I know that there will be a day where I will give an account for how I've served you here. And I pray that the words that I hear from you are well done, my good and faithful servant. God, I pray for this church. I pray that you would do some amazing things. I thank you for for even just the, the little rumblings of things that we've heard, the way that you're moving in hearts and the way that you're changing people and the way that, that you are are transforming us by the renewing of our minds. And God, I just pray that you would continue to do that. But Lord, I pray that you would do a work here that can only be attributed to you. Not for us. But to make your name great in this place. Father, we pray that that you would find us to be your humble, obedient servants. And all that you call us to do. God, our answer is yes. We're just waiting for you to tell us what. We pray this in the awesome and mighty name of Jesus.